0: The Tablet Show, episode 13, with guest Ronan Kremen. Recorded live Thursday, December 15th, 2011. From thetabletshow.com, it's The Tablet Show. Conversations about developing software for tablets and other mobile devices with your hosts Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. In this episode, Carl and Richard talk to Ronan Kremen about DotMobi and Device Atlas. This episode of The Tablet Show is sponsored by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support.
1: Online at T-E-L-E-R-I-K dot com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much, and welcome to The Tablet Show. It's Carl and Richard, and uh, we're talking tablets.
0: Yeah, I like tablets. i got tablets all over my house these days.
1: Banter, banter, witty banter.
0: <laughs> <laughs> just just saying, it's very interesting to watch teenagers interact with tablets. They use uh, them quite differently.
1: Yeah. I, I, both my kids have them now, and they love them. Yeah. Uh, interesting that they're going for the Android versions because those are the cheap ones.
0: Mm, yeah, right. Yeah. Fire down to 200 bucks. It's unbelievable.
1: Selling a million a week. Yeah. Mm. It's amazing. It is amazing. Better know framework. <laughs> Coming right up. Wow. What do you got? Talking about the WinRT API and all the goodness that lies therein. Nice. Uh, today, windows.data.json. Oh. What does this do? Well, it provides support for JSON arrays, values, and objects.
0: Okay. So, does it generate JSON or is it, it, does it consume JSON?
1: Well, it's it consumes JSON. You have uh, interfaces that um, uh, work for arrays and objects and values. You have a JSON array. That represents a JSON array, and it has methods such as uh, append, get at, get number, mm-hmm. get many, get object, get object at, get string at, set at, set number, stringify. That's a good word. Stringify receives a JSON representation of the encapsulated value. Awesome. Stringify. Stringify. Yeah. So setting, getting, working with JSON. Yeah. All good. It's all good, and it's all right there.
0: And you need it. You do. It's a thing. What's up, man? Grabbed an email out of the stack from Ryan Ma about the tablet show. He says, greetings from a rockhead in Vancouver. I've been a longtime .NET Rocks listener since within the first 10 episodes, and I'm now enjoying the new tablet show spinoff immensely. As with most of the DNR community, I am hungry for more information on WinRT and various mobile platforms. Oh, yeah. To me, what's great about .NET Rocks is that it shrinks the world when you interview guests from other countries or when you travel to various conferences. Despite their native tongue, the passion and knowledge always shine through. Yeah. Equally important is that you showcase female superstars in this industry, including Michelle Ribustamante, Julie Lerman, Kate Gregory, among others. And I hope that carries on for the new show. Yep. Thanks for all the great content. And by the way, shouldn't you be giving away a plate instead of a mug on uh-huh. the Tablet Show?
1: <laughs> That's funny. That's pretty clever. I don't know. Yeah, no, we, but Cafe we, Press doesn't let you sell plates. Yeah,
0: it ought to. We have to go to the Franklin Mint for a uh, oh. a, a Tablet Show plate. <laughs> <That's funny.
1: laughs>
0: Oh, well, I'll send you a mug anyway, Ryan. Thanks so much for your email. And if you'd like a mug, talk to us about the Tablet Show at .NET Rocks at
1: Richard, I'm very excited because our guest today is Ronan Kremen. Uh, Ronan leads .mobi's engineering initiatives. He focuses on building and delivering mobile Internet applications, such as the award-winning GoMobi and Device Atlas products. Mr. Kremen also represents .mobi at the World Wide Web Consortium and has used this work as the basis for the DotMobi Web Developer Guide. Mr. Kremen has more than a dozen years of product management and development experience in mobile and Internet sectors, including stints in leading markets like Japan with NTT, Docomo, Europe with Vodafone 3 and Orange, and the USA with AOL. Prior to .mobi, he focused on product management in the mobile application sector at Valista. Before Valista, he was at Critical Path, where he managed email and directory products. Mr. Crammon holds a B.E. in Electronic Engineering from University College, Dublin. Welcome, Ronan.
2: Thanks, guys. Good to be here.
1: It's good to have you. It's uh, quite an impressive resume.
2: Yeah, it's, um, I've been focusing on mobile for as long as I possibly could, so I basically spent the last 10 years or so doing nothing but.
1: There at the beginning.
0: What what is right. DotMobi exactly? What do, what do you guys do?
2: So it's I guess it's a bunch of things. DotMobi was set up by um, a group of fourteen um, investors, including Google and Microsoft and Visa, Vodafone, Samsung, and a bunch of other guys who basically all had a vested interest in getting the mobile internet, the mobile web, to an um, off the ground. Basically, to jumpstart the mobile web. So these guys came together and. The way we decided to actually do this was twofold. We had one, number one, we launched the .mobi domain itself, which you guys might have seen. I mean, it's used by people like Fox News, .mobi, and so on. So the idea of that was that the the top-level domain, the .mobi top-level domain, was a signifier to end users that the site at that domain would actually work on your phone. Remember that Uh at the time, back in 2005, this was not generally the case. It pretty much is now, but it wasn't back then. So that was yeah. that was the first thing. The uh, We launched the .mobile domain itself. The second thing we did was to try and help developers produce the content that would sit on these uh, mobile sites. And we did this in two ways. The first was with Device Atlas, which is a way to quite easily um, work out the nature of the device that's trying to access your site right now. And the second way was with... Um, GoMobile, which is a, a means to for a small business to quickly get themselves up and going on the mobile web.
1: And when you say mobile devices, you're talking about the devices of the day, which were mostly, I would think, you know, good old-fashioned cell phones with a little bit of web browsing built in.
2: Exactly. It, it's amazing what's happened since. I mean, back, back then, back in about 2005, 2006, there was a vast gulf between what we thought of as a phone back then and what we had um, in terms of PCs, I mean, there was essentially nothing in between. If you fast forward to the present day, we now have, smart, we have big smartphones, small smartphones, netbooks, tablets. So what yeah. previously a huge gap is now filled by a plethora of different you know, aspect ratios and sizes and capabilities. So, yeah, it, it's been interesting to watch.
0: But, it's you know, the funny part now is that this, the phones, the iPhone, WinPhone 7, they're all running basically the same browser. The desktops are running. It's it's all WebKit or or, uh, Trident, or these are the same engines.
2: True, absolutely true. The only browser that isn't really represented on the phones yet is Firefox, but that's beginning to happen actually.
1: Hmm. So, um, I I imagine that a lot of what you're doing is really stripping out content and scaling it down. Isn't that is that a fair assessment?
2: We we actually kind of like to think of it in the other way, the other way around. In building it up. Well, well, it's more that the traditionally the phone has been regarded as a, a disabled uh, medium, where, in fact, arguably it's the, it's the other way around because you know, the phone has a GPS and has uh, orientation sensors and gyroscopes and whatnot. Mm. And all of these things you pretty much can't do on the desktop. So while it is physically smaller, it doesn't mean it's less capable. So, so in fact, many web pages today will actually add features in for the mobile site that they will leave out on the desktop site.
1: In terms of the raw HTML and JavaScript that they generate, usually they'll, they'll, uh, stuff that's optimized for phones is generally a lot more sparse, isn't it?
2: Yes. I mean, there'll be less of it for starters. But, I mean, yeah. a good example of this is, I think, the, uh, the TripAdvisor site, where if you go on your desktop, you get the normal TripAdvisor stuff that you're, you, you know, love. But um if you go there on your mobile device, it'll start giving you location specific stuff, which is, you know, the, the desktop can't do. And, So definitely that the sites will be lighter, but not less feature-rich, if that makes
0: sense. Fair enough. And I think one of the things you're hitting at here, Carl, is that web pages need to be designed differently when they're running on a phone, not just because of the restricted screen space, because people do things differently.
1: Well, yeah. And I, I, I noticed that. You notice that now with the iPhone and the Windows Phone 7 when you browse to a particular site. It's just, you know, optimized for that. Screen, and yeah you know, they always you always get an option to to go to the full site, but uh yeah. I mean we do that in dot net rocks and when people go to Dotnet net rocks with their phone, that's usually because they want to hear a show, so we essentially have a slightly marked up version of the r s s feed so they can just you know find the show that they want and start listening to it if there's a lot of u i cluttering that up and buttons and pages and stuff it just makes that whole process cumbersome.
2: Right. I think we're beginning to realize that the mobile and mobile web in particular isn't just a shrunken version of what we already had. It's quite different in many ways. I mean, the, in one regard, it's more capable, as I just mentioned, with the GPS yeah. and uh, orientation and camera. But, um, but, but also the phone is massively contextual in, in that there are many hints the phone can give you that you don't really have available to you on the desktop. I think we're just getting to grips with what that means, actually, and and there are very few sites right now that actually develop this, but I think that'll change quite quickly.
1: So, what is Moby doing uh, currently with with iPhones and tablets and all of the great devices of the day?
2: For the most part, we just try to enable developers to know what they can use and what what they what they can't use. So. I mean, as an example, if you, if you visit Google today on an iPhone, you get quite a different page than if you visit it on a, a Nokia 6300. So we, we basically equip the developers with the tools that they need to make that choice. You know, what, what can I send this phone? What will actually work on this phone? And therefore, what, what will I stick into my HTML and what will I leave out? So we have a tool, which is called Device Atlas, that enables you to make that decision.
1: So tell us about Device Atlas then. It's uh, basically capabilities uh, reporting, feature reporting.
2: It's an acknowledgement of the fact that on the desktop web, pretty much every browser has more or less the same capabilities. If you set aside the differences between um, Internet Explorer and Firefox and whatever for now, most desktop browsers are approximately the same. The same page will look more or less the same across all of the three major browsers. That is very much not the case in mobile because, number one, you have these enormous um, differences in screen size. Some phones have GPS is some have you know, orientation capabilities, some don't. So what was true on the desktop web is definitely not true for the mobile web. You essentially have no choice but to adapt the HTML to each particular device if you want to of it fully. So it, this sounds really tedious, but actually, if you look, I, I tested this today on the top Alexa 100 sites, at least 85% of them are doing exactly this. So for every device that comes along, they say, okay, that's an iPhone, therefore, give it this, don't give it that, and so on. So for every single device, you get a different a different piece of HTML.
0: Hmm. Is this anything different from what we used to do with browser caps back in the early HTML4 days, that we're just finding out what the device tells us it is and then cultivating accordingly?
2: It's very similar, except that the, the range of things that you might need to know about is, is quite big. So right. At a very superficial level, screen dimensions are important so that you can send just the correct size of picture to it. But then you move on to pretty advanced stuff like um, HTML5 capabilities, JavaScript, and you know, all of the best sites out there are using all these, all of these capabilities all the time, like Facebook and Google. Uh-huh. And, and you find that if you look at the source they send you, it's, it's really fine-tuned for the device because that's how you get the best experience. That's how the user is, is given the best um, experience.
1: From your perspective, are all the browsers playing nice enough so that it's easy for you to go figure these things out? Or are there some really challenging things that you have to do? Like, I guess what I'm saying is, are you looking up a list or are you actually testing capabilities and seeing if if the browsers will do it?
2: We mostly do it ahead of time. In other words, we, we have the information at hand and we ship it out in condensed form to our customers. And that's because some things you can ask, you can query out the browser in real time, but many things you can't. And of the things that you can query on the fly using JavaScript, and um, the browsers tend to overreport their capabilities a, a little bit. So you, you kind of have to have a, a fallback to a curated data set that was delivered to you, you know, and tested by hand. Unfortunately, it's, it's a bit of a um, it's you just have to do it basically. The reason we're doing this is so that each developer doesn't have to do this themselves.
1: Yes, so what what is, for example, give me an example of uh, a capability that is particularly difficult to figure out or was difficult for you guys to figure out.
2: Well, as a really simple example, um, animated GIF images work on Android after, I think, 2.3, but don't work beforehand. But the developer can't actually know because the device, it'll, it'll pull down the animated GIF but it won't actually display the animations, and you know, the only way for you to know that is to actually try it on every device. Right. It's a fairly s- small example, but but quite illustrative.
0: Oh yeah, and it's not like there's a flag or a test or anything. There's no way for you, even in in JavaScript, to say is this actually animating? Correct. Exactly.
1: Because because exactly. it says sure we'll play we'll display that GIF file. You love it. Yeah. 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 Yes. Love GIFs. We love us and GIFs.
2: So that's a a really trivial example, but, I mean, there are more substantive ones like uh, GPS and HTML5 and JavaScript stuff that, if it doesn't work, your whole web app might fail.
1: Right.
0: So how do you contend with the update cycle, especially right now with so many new versions of browsers coming out as quickly as they are?
2: Yeah, it's pretty insane. So what we've had to do is we, we release daily updates to our information corpus, which, our biggest customers get, you know, literally every single day. I mean, uh, as an example, when the Kindle Fire was launched uh, a few weeks ago, nobody really knew anything about it until it, was actually, until it was actually released. Sure. So the very next day, you know, everybody's asking us, you know, what are the capabilities of this device? How do we find out? And th- this kind of update cycle pretty much necessitates a, uh, a daily update of device information.
0: Well, and I, I don't imagine you guys got a Fire in advance. You just had to sit down, buy one yourselves and get to work?
2: We often do with the fire, in particular. We didn't, but we have device partnerships with people like Nokia and Samsung and so on. Mm-hmm. We, we typically know about a phone long before it reaches the wild, but sometimes we don't.
0: Yeah, interesting problem. And um, what about technologies yeah. like Modernizer? I don't know if you're familiar with it—the JavaScript libraries sure. that are basically about building that behavior into your code.
2: It's very useful stuff, but the and yeah, we we fully support them. We think it's great, but the there's there. I think there are two problems with it. First some things that you can't query via JavaScript. And one particular example of that is you can't ask of the device, what is your name? Are you a Samsung Galaxy 2 or are you an iPhone? You can't actually tell that within the device uh, via JavaScript. The other thing is that the JavaScript APIs tend to overstate their capabilities. So really, unless you have a a fallback to a a tested um, corpus of data, You can't fully rely on this stuff working. It'll probably work most of the time, but not always. And for big customers, our our big customers, that just isn't good enough. They want to know for sure if something works or not.
1: This portion of The Tablet Show is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight Controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems. All of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash freestuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com freestuff now and take full advantage of the available free-of-charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting the Tablet Show. So tell me what the experience is like for an ASP.NET developer. Do we download a product that stays on our server with a database of some kind and does it automatically update or do we have to update it ourselves? What's the, what's it like for me as a developer?
2: So we basically give you a DLL that sits on your uh, information server and, and it's up to you how often you wish to actually download the, the updates and it's it's available daily if you want, but not everybody does that. We don't try and do the downloads ourselves because people tend to be pretty sensitive about um, information being downloaded automatically to their their application servers. Yeah. So we tell you ways to do it, but we don't do it for you. And so basically, you pull down a, a 500k uh, zip file every day if you
1: want. So is the information um, hard coded in the DLL, or is there a separate data store?
2: The, the the API is a DLL. The the data store is a really compact JSON file that you get yourself. So it's, it's two separate things.
0: Great. Well, that sounds easy.
2: It's pretty easy. Yeah.
0: So am I am I basically just getting a list of features based on the device that uh, that I'm that's accessing me, and that I, I still have to figure out how to build my page for each device.
2: Yeah, yeah. so it's a, it's a capability list. So for each device, we have approximately 150 properties. that will say, you know, resolution, model name, whether or not it supports different JavaScript features. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the, the actual encoding of that information into the file is much more exotic than that because it has to work really, really fast in order to be useful. Yeah. But essentially, it's a list of properties in each device. We don't try to tell you how to use it because, you know, if you're YouTube, you care a lot about the video properties, but if you're, you know... Google, you don't care about that at all. You care about the, the HTML level it supports. So different people want different things from it, so we don't try to mandate the use of it or how you use it.
0: But in the end, it's a lot of if they, If I have GPS, I can do this. And if I, if I, based on this screen, screen relations below this level, maybe use this CSS file versus this size, use this CSS file, that kind of thing.
2: Exactly. What, what usually happens is people have categories advisors. So... You'll notice that if you go to um, Facebook on a, an Android or iOS device, you'll get redirected to touch.facebook.com. So basically they've got a template for touch devices. So people tend to segregate the, um, their templates to about three different versions. So you might have small, medium, large, and then touch separately. Um, and then depending on the nature of the device that's coming in, you can give it a, in broad brush stroke, you can get roughly everything correct.
1: Well, you know, um, I don't know about you, Richard, but I want one. And where do I get it and how much?
2: (laughs) Sure. So it's available at deviceatlas.com. There are multiple different license options. So basically, depending on how fast you need to go and how often you want data updates, um, there are different versions. You can use a cloud version or you can have a locally deployed version. Um, So the, the cloud version is basically designed for smaller sites and people who don't want to get too involved. On the other end of the scale, we have a C++ API and an Apache module that goes extremely fast. I think we do 1.7 million recognitions per second on a fairly modest server. And that's used Mm -hmm. by people like ad servers and so on, where the speed is is completely critical. Um, So we've got a whole different bunch of um, licensing options, uh, basically whatever suits. Starting at about $399, all the way up to uh, much higher numbers than that.
0: Okay. I wanted to jump back to dot mobi for a second because I think this is an interesting idea and I I took a look around on the site because I mean you're also in the business of selling uh domain name entries essentially for .mobi as opposed to .com Sure. Uh are people buying these things cuz I think the regular mortal doesn't even understand it. there's an alternative to .com. Yeah, I never heard of it
1: myself.
2: Sure. So there and I agree it's probably less well known than the other extensions it is used by a few high profile people like if you if you go to fox fox News. Mobi is their primary uh, mobile url um, so are people buying them I would say yes we we sell thousands per day we've a, a million active at the moment so it's i mean its it's not as popular dot com of course but it is being used i think the the main place that the mobile domain gets used is for New entrance to the market who have a primarily mobile offering, right? But who can't get the .com domain that they want.
0: Interesting, yeah, an interesting point, <clears throat> right? I mean, we uh, our mobile site is m.netrocks.com, which seems to be right. the other sort of popular paradigm for this. Yes,
2: yes. I mean, I, I think the long term outcome here is that the the URL that you actually type in won't matter, and using tools like device atlas or workflow, or whatever. Right. The page that you go to will just automatically adapt regardless of what what URL you actually typed.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what I think, too.
2: I mean, if you go to Google, it doesn't matter what address you type, you'll get a, a mobile-friendly experience. The same for right. Facebook and Amazon and eBay. All, all the big guys do this.
0: Well, and I've also got the sense that HTML5, it's more importantly, CSS3, has gotten a lot smarter about how to scale things to fit the browser, uh, to fit that smaller window too, that you can build in the dynamics for smaller fonts and for even switching controls to more compact controls depending on the screen resolution.
2: See, you can do a lot of stuff with uh, CSS3 and media queries, but I, I would say one thing that that resolution independence is not the same as content adaptation. So just because it fits in the screen doesn't mean that you can wash your hands of the problem. Right. Um, and just to back up my point, I would say that, again, of the Alexa top 100 sites, 85% of them don't do that. In other words, 85% of them serve particular HTML to particular devices, and the reason for that is because it works best.
0: Right. So, that yeah, this idea of a universal page is just a fallacy, you direct to a different page that's really built for mobile?
2: If you want to make the most of the device and hence serve the user best, that's the only way to do it currently.
0: Well, and not to be terribly difficult, but then now we get into this idea of shouldn't we just build a native app for each of those devices?
2: Uh, sure, I mean I, I think native apps have their place, but I think we're already seeing. Well, well, for, well, first of all, one of the dirty secrets of the App Store is that approximately I think twenty percent of the iOS apps are in fact HTML apps, it just wrapped up in uh, PhoneGap or some other wrapper. And um, so I think we're seeing. Uh, I think apps. Have their place, but they're beginning to occupy less of the the, the mind share that they used to. I think people, marketeers, are realizing that actually, you know, an app that runs on the, on iOS covers only two percent of the market. I mean, mm-hmm. is, is that really what you want? And then, do you want to develop a different app for iOS and Android and now Windows Seven? And um, so, I think we're, as the different operating systems get more popular we're going to see more and more people saying, well, you know, there's no way I can support three different um, platforms. Therefore, let's just do the HTML5 route because right. it works well enough. It's not as good, but it's it's good enough. I
0: guess that's the, always the question is, is it good enough? Uh, can you build yes. a good enough app? And, and can your competitor come in behind you with a better experience in a native app?
2: True, true. I spoke to the uh, CTO of eBay about this time last year. And he was saying even a big company like eBay has huge problems with the different uh, native apps because, I mean, while well, they have the demand part to actually build these you know, for eBay's big company, coordinating the rollouts is next to impossible because you, the iOS, the time that the iOS app hits the market is unknowable because it has to go through the whole validation thing, so that's unknown, and then you have to release the Android and the Windows Seven app at the same time, so mm-hmm. it's it's mm-hmm. an absolute nightmare even for a big company like eBay. Yeah, I also think that people are getting really tired of the whole update thing. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but typically my App Store icon has like 16 updates waiting all the time. Oh, yeah.
1: And, and most you. of the time, the update features are, it's slower.
2: Yes. <laughs> yes. So, if anything, it'll be a couple of bug fixes, but it might be slower and bigger.
1: Yeah. I think the whole idea of if it ain't broke really does apply more and more.
2: The web apps have this beautiful property that they update themselves you know, when needed. But there's one other uh, huge issue with the apps, which is that their performance at the time of need is really bad. So if I'm wandering around a foreign city and I'm looking for something, like, say, a restaurant, I don't want, at that point, to have to download an app. I'm just going to do a Google search and if I find something great, if it doesn't, you know, I'm done. Um, um, I don't want to have to get an app at that point. So uh, at the time of need... I think the apps do pretty poorly. I think they're they're quite good for services where you interact with a you know a brand over a long period of time and you use it frequently, but not for a once off at the time of need experience.
1: Well, and that goes to uh, at the time of need. That's the last time to the the worst time to require an update. Yes. Right. Yes. I, iPhone doesn't do that, but I know a lot of apps that do. You know that you run the and the PC is particularly bad about this. You run them when you need them and then they say, Oh, I'm sorry, you're gonna to have to update you know, update this first.
2: Exactly. Exactly. So so I think the yeah. apps suffer from a huge problem, plus that they that they're not findable. I mean, you can't Google straight into an app, which you can with a mobile web app. Um, yeah. So I think there's quite a few things working as well. I think there's there's a good deal of um, recreational aspect about them too. That it feels like they're the new ringtones, you know, that they're the new thing that you can play with on your phone. Mm.
0: Yeah, you know, and I'm I'm fighting back and forth on this compatibility thing. Of you know, is it harder for me to roll out f- four or five actual quote unquote native apps on these different devices versus trying to build web pages that tolerate all the variations between all those devices? I mean, the existence of Divide Atlas sort of speaks to the challenge.
2: It, it does. I, I mean, what well, I would say that there there is definitely fragmentation going on even within the HTML space. I think it's probably fair to say that there's a consensus that it's still easier because you can have server-side logic, you don't have to deploy the app to the app store, and you can tweak on the fly. I think overall it's probably still easier. Now, there are certain apps that you probably still can't remake well in HTML5, like stuff that needs high-speed graphics and so on. But I think overall the consensus is that a cross-platform HTML app is probably cheaper than a native app.
0: Well, the main thing is one set of language skills, right? It's a, a, I, exactly. You can expect exactly. a given team to support all of the device variations when you build it in HTML5. And yeah. you know you need separate teams when you go to multiple devices, say the native app.
2: the HTML5 team is not that far removed from an existing web developer, where a, a native mm-hmm. app developer is, is a totally different skill.
1: Yeah. Do you, have, uh, do you have the ability to detect a particular video codec support?
2: Yes. In fact, that's a really key thing for many of our customers. Um, So, again, even within the HTML5 space, there are a couple of um, standard formats that are supposed to be supported, but people like, uh, I'm trying to think of an example here, there's a a new standard called HTTP live streaming, which isn't actually part of the official standard, but yet is being used by people already because it's supported by Apple. So there's fragmentation even within that space, but, um, again, if you have the right properties in your device, Database, it's okay. You just pick the right one and you serve up the content.
1: Yeah. Well, um, you know, I I have a Kindle Fire, and there's an interesting thing. You go to the apps section of the Kindle Fire, and then you run the Facebook app, and it brings you to the web browser. The Facebook app is actually a browser. Yes. Is is a web is a website.
2: Yes. I think we're going to see more and more of that. And as I was saying, a lot of the apps in the app store are exactly that, but wrapped up.
1: Yeah. Have yeah. you guys
2: tried the um, Financial Times app, the HTML app? I haven't. It, it's worth a look. I mean, it, it's a full-blown HTML five app. I, I believe it's actually making money for them already, and mm. it, it looks like a native app. It feels like a native app, and it's it, you know supports offline browsing. It's it's fantastic, and I think that's uh, probably one of the avant-garde that's you know signals what's coming.
0: The hmm. main thing is what's possible. That when you get the right people together, you can build something so close to native. Although yeah, yeah still I mean, one of the characteristics we talk about mobile devices when it comes to nativeness is that uh, sort of look and feel. The iPhone has a distinctive look and feel, Windows Phone 7 definitely does, and so does Android yeah. for that matter even if you don't particularly care
1: for it. Well, you know I I'm not the I'm not the first person to say you should remove features, but if you think about it, the only real difference in the experience between a native app and, and an HTML5 app is the browser bar, you know, the back button and the the address bar. If you take that off, you've got an app.
2: Yes. If you bookmark an app with an icon on the desktop, certainly on the iPhone, typically they're programmed such that the address bar does go away. and In fact, you pretty much can't tell the difference. Hmm. I strongly recommend that you guys try the uh, go to the Flash Times um, web app, bookmark it onto the homepage, and you pretty much can't tell the difference.
1: Yeah, we have heard about it, uh, actually as being a really sort of definitive HTML5 experience, but I'm, I'm going to have to do that.
2: It basically proves that you can do a lot of things that could be done, and that the experience is good, mm. it does support offline, and it's, it's nice.
1: Certainly makes development easy. Yeah. Well, you know, with a tool like GoMobi. Thanks. Device Atlas. Well, thanks very much for spending this time with us. Uh, I know it was short, but I learned a lot, and it sounds like a great product. Well, thanks, guys. Thank you. And we'll see you next time on The Tablet Show.
2: It's not